In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The text is the reading from Matthew. You may be seated. When Jesus taught us to pray, he concluded the Lord's Prayer by saying, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And at the end of today's gospel reading, it almost sounds like Jesus is doubling down on this same sentiment. And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he could pay all his debt. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What we've heard today from the end of the Lord's Prayer and also from the gospel reading, it almost sounds like Jesus is at odds with what the word of God says in other places. For instance, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Does our salvation depend on grace, or does it depend on works? Does it depend on God's promise, or does it depend on whether or not we forgive those who sin against us. Well, fortunately, we don't have to do a lot of navel-gazing to figure this one out. The question posed by St. Peter at the beginning of the Gospel reading helps us along our path in sorting this one out. He asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Perhaps my favorite unstated point in this little encounter is that we know that Peter has at least one brother, Andrew, who also happened to be numbered among our Lord's apostles. I bring this up because I'm not sure how generally known this is, but brothers tend to fight against one another. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. But was Peter thinking about some specific in instance where Andrew had wronged him? Was he tired of Andrew taking up some of the Lord's attention for himself? Well, Jesus' response to this begins to answer the question that we began with. Does our own forgiveness depend on whether or not we're willing to forgive those who sin against us? Well, Jesus responds first and foremost to Peter, but then he also extends this to us this morning. I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. So let's take this apart. Seven is a biblical number for completion. It's tied, of course, to the number of days that creation took for the Lord to finish. Seven days and the Lord rested. Peter seemed to be indicating that there is a complete amount of forgiveness that he's willing to give to Andrew here. But once someone reaches that point, it's all used up. There's nothing left. Peter is being gracious in being complete 
in his forgiveness. After all, many of us grew up hearing the old saying, fool me once, shame on you, and fool me twice, shame on me, right? The implication there, of course, is that if we open ourselves up to someone who has sinned against us, any future sins that happen against me, well, they're all my fault, and that probably means that we shouldn't be extending a lot of forgiveness, at least in the way that the world figures things. And today, it's much worse than even that. That's an old saying. We live in an age where if you put something on Twitter when you're 14 years old that goes against what's socially acceptable in the year of our Lord 2022, you will be canceled. Every once in a while, you hear stories about how someone loses a spot in a college admission or some high-paying corporate gig because of something that they said online when they were just kids. To me... This seems that we've reduced Peter's limit for the forgiveness of sins from seven times to maybe one time when we were younger to now zero times. That there is no forgiveness of sins available for sinning against the popular zeitgeist. So I want to think about Jesus' response now to Peter. When he says 70 times 7 is the number of times that you forgive. So are we supposed to multiply that out? So 70 times 7, that's, that's 700. I bet you didn't think we were going to do math this morning. But I think it's more than just Jesus extending that number of forgiveness to tenfold what Peter had suggested. And here's why. 10 also happens to be a biblical number of completion, of perfection. How many commandments are there? There are 10. So multiplying here a perfect number by a perfect number shows us the completeness with which Jesus says our forgiveness ought to be for those who sin against us. None of this fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me business. None of this seven times, but a complete and perfect amount of forgiveness is what Jesus actually expects of us today for those who sin against us. So let's get down to brass tacks here. How many times have you been wronged by the same person over and over again, oftentimes in the same way. Do you think fondly of that person or those situations? I'm guessing you probably don't. None of us likes it when someone throws the grace and forgiveness that we offer time and time again back in our face by hurting us again and again and again. And Jesus wants you to forgive that person perfectly, completely? Well, yes, in fact, he does. Our unwillingness to forgive reveals within our souls a very dark poison. 
And that is what the parable of this unforgiving servant is meant to illustrate for us. The servant who was first summoned before the king owed an unpayable debt. Jesus says 10,000 talents. That's equivalent to 200,000 years worth of work. The world hasn't even been around for 200,000 years, and this man has racked up this kind of debt before the king. But out of pity for this man, the king forgives the debt. Then the, then the scene shifts. The man, freed from his death, immediately turns around, finds a fellow servant that owed him a hundred days' worth of wages. Again, he had owed the king how much? 200,000 years, and now he goes and finds his guy who owes him a hundred days' worth of wages. The king rebuked the unforgiving servant, saying, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Our unwillingness to forgive one another reveals a lack of faith in the one who forgives our sin. The world doesn't teach us how to forgive because the world doesn't believe in a God who actually forgives sins. But that's not how it should be among us, the forgiven people of God. People loved by God. Jesus wants you to see in this parable how trivial the debts are that we have among ourselves compared with the debt that we have individually racked up before our God and Father in heaven. I don't say this to minimize the hurt that is caused by sin. That's real, and it's raw, and it's personal. But Jesus here is drawing our focus on how much our God has actually forgiven you as individuals. The king who absorbed the debt of 10,000 talents is a picture of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. This debt does not simply disappear. Even if the, for, even if the government were to forgive all student debt that's out there, someone has to pay that bill. And in the same way, God, in Christ Jesus, has paid the bill of the debt of sin that you owe. St. Paul says, He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became sin for you, so that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. It is by knowing and living in this power of forgiveness that, ha- that God has given you all that you, are, all that you need to be able to forgive those who sin against you. In the past, I've pointed you to the gift of individual confession and absolution, this wonderful gift that God has given to his church. And I, I want to return to that because in that right, you have the opportunity to take stock of your own sin, those things that trouble your heart and cause you to despair of God's love. But I would also 
point you to what we do at the beginning of every divine service when we have the Lord's Supper. We begin with the confession of sins, but if you notice after those uh, opening sentences from the Psalms, that there's that moment of silence. Not because I need a break already in the service, but because the Lord wants us to use that time to take accounting of our lives in terms of the Ten Commandments. How have we failed to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? How have we failed to love our neighbor as ourselves? How deep does our sin and corruption actually run? And after we confess our sins, in private confession, the pastor lays his hand on your head, or here in Sunday morning in the service, the pastor tells you that your debt of sin, every instance of failing to love God and your neighbor, every instance of those things is gone. Your debt is paid. It is forgiven. In Christ Jesus, all your sins are paid for and are forgiven, not with gold or silver, not with talents or denarii, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. Jesus tells us whoever is forgiven little loves little. Your forgiveness does not depend on your forgiving others, but your lack of forgiveness shows that you don't have or you don't actually believe that your sins really are forgiven. And so I urge you, dear saints, to come, to lay your sins on Jesus, who is the spotless Lamb of God. He grants you forgiveness in the font, in the absolution, in his supper. Every single time we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And even from the mouths of your fellow saints who forgive you when you sin against them. Your Lord is super abundant in forgiving your sins because he wants you to be certain that your sins are indeed forgiven before God. But also, in lavishing that forgiveness upon you, he wants you to be able to go out and lavish his forgiveness on those who sin against you. In Jesus' name. And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord.